And so feeling like a little bit lonely within my site and not being able to have conversations with people in general. Um, and if it was about faith, it was always, oh, you should pray and convert. And I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> um, or it would be with other Americans, but just living a very different life. And so finding that balance of where do I even find community within God in this country? Hello, and welcome to the Hill Stories podcast, a space to tell the God stories unique to the people at Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church in Gig Harbor and Port Orchard, Washington. I'm your host, David Wilson. Today, we're sitting down with Paige Byler. Paige is in a unique position. She hasn't been with Chapel Hill for a long period of time. And in fact, she's not even with Chapel Hill Gig Harbor per se. Chapel Hill Gig Harbor has recently undergone a church plant in the town of Port Orchard. Paige has signed on to help with that. So let's go back just a little bit and tell me about who you are, where you came from. Sure, absolutely. My name is Paige Byler, and I'm originally from Florida, born and raised there, um, lived there most of my life, born into mom, dad, older sister, grew up in a couple different parts of Florida, but for the most part, Jacksonville in the northeast part of Florida. I attended University of Florida in uh, 2013 to 2017, so recent S college grad, not fresh out of college, but a couple years under my belt. And um, after college, did a little bit of traveling, a little bit of work around the country, and then eventually around the world. And um, what I'll be talking about later today is um, my trip in Morocco, or my time in Morocco. Um, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Morocco from September of 2018 until March of 2020. That is when we were evacuated due to COVID-19. So that is what brought me back to America in 2020, around the time of the pandemic. Uh, I went back and lived with mom and dad for the first time in years. I was always determined to not, you know, move back in after college. Even throughout college, I was always working. I had not lived at home since high school. Um, so that was a pretty humbling <laughs> experience to move back in with my parents. But they graciously um, allowed me to come back. Of course, there was... <laughs> Didn't have to worry about that. Of course, they graciously let me come back in. Um, but I spent about six months um, back in Florida with my parents. And then in September of 2020, moved out here to Port Orchard. Well, you've given us a whole bunch of teasers. <laughs> yes. Like, we just got the summation of Paige's life. Um, so I do, I do want to go back a little bit. So growing up Jacksonville, Florida, mm -hmm. I don't know whether it's like, oh, that's cool, or I'm so sorry. <laughs> But growing up in Florida, mm -hmm. were you the perfect angel or were you just a little hellion and couldn't, oh, your parents couldn't contain you? Gosh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I definitely had some fire in me, especially when I was younger. I think the older I got, the more I mellowed out. But I was certainly the, the difficult child of the two. So I have an older sister. She's three and a half years older than me. And the two of us are pretty different, um, but as we've gotten older, we've grown a lot closer. But growing up, we didn't really fight. We just kind of lived together. Um, but yeah, I, I think I gave my parents a run for their money, certainly at times. <laughs> when did you find Jesus? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I think that's something hard for me to answer because I grew up in a home where Jesus was very present. Uh, my parents, I 
am constantly in awe of their faith. And I think that they have done such a great job of incorporating that within me and my sister's life. So it's something that has always been in our life. Um, One thing that was so special to me was when I was in elementary school, we had moved from southern part of Florida up into Jacksonville. And um, we started going to a church. Our family had grown up we went to a Lutheran church. My mom was raised Catholic. My dad was raised Mennonite. So Lutheran was the happy compromise. <laughs> wow, so we went to this that's Lutheran a mix. Church. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we went to a Lutheran church. Um, and then when we had moved, we found a new Lutheran church. And I didn't like it. I said, you know, there's no kids here. There's nothing fun here. I don't want to go. This is me in fifth grade. So that gives you a taste of my personality. Fifth grade <laughs> page found her own church. And it was a Presbyterian church, actually. Um, they had a Friday night, um, Friday night, it was called Frat House. And so it was for fifth graders. And we just got to go and be crazy and have fun and hang out at the church and just had all these adults that were there that were super fun. And I loved it. And so starting in sixth grade and middle school, I asked my parents if I could start going to their youth group. And that's actually the youth group that Daniel Archikavitz, who is one of the pastors at Chapel Hill Port Orchard, him and his wife Tiffany were the youth pastors there. So I remember in fifth grade, you know, telling my dad, I don't want to go to your church. I want to go to this church. And he, one, graciously corrected me of, hey, church is not about you. It is about God. Hmm. But also graciously um, shared with me that if I'm going to be growing in my faith, he doesn't care what building that's in. He wants me to be learning about God. So they allowed me to start going to youth group there and then I started attending church. And so that was a big pivotal point um, in my faith of, realizing that church could be fun and that Jesus was part of all aspects of our life, not just on Sunday mornings when we're worshiping, but oh, on Wednesday nights we can sing songs and jump around and play games and and then still learn about God and that he's in all of that. He's in the fun, the mundane and every aspect. That's interesting. Uh, You understood at a relatively early age. Mm -hmm. So you go through high school, any Mm -hmm. big bumps in that time period? So high school, I would say, was a pretty stagnant time in my faith. Um, The middle and high school youth ministry were separate. So high school leader or high schoolers were able to be small group leaders for the middle school students, which I loved. So that was my main point of um, service, I guess, in the church was going to the middle school youth group still. But now I'm a high school and I'm a leader. And I learned by the end of high school that, hey, if you're only serving and not taking time to be with the Lord yourself, you're going to burn out really fast. So I look back on my high school time, I think, you know, I'm really glad that I was a small group leader. Um, In the summer of my junior year of high school, I went on a mission trip to Costa Rica, and I think that kind of opened my perspective to the world outside of America, and that if I think of like the first time in my life I really encountered the Lord in a very personal way, Um, I think of a moment in Costa Rica with this little girl that I was playing with and whole nother story with that. That was a big part of um, a big part of my testimony in high school and college. And yeah, so high school, I wouldn't say had any major bumps along the way, but just kind of a slow settling. And so when I got to college, being very adamant that I am not serving anything, I need to figure out who God is for me and and my own faith before I'm trying to pour out into others because it is exhausting. Did your faith influence where you went to school or was it mm-hmm. a, just a foregone conclusion that you would be going to some big Florida university? <laughs> yeah, so the high school that I went to was um, a really good high school. 
every it was kind of the expectation that you're going to go to a university in florida i would say most people go to bigger universities um, with scholarship and there's a program there called bright futures so the tuition is significantly reduced so most people stay in state i personally really wanted to go out of state university of north carolina in chapel hill the tar heels that was where my eye was set that's where i wanted to go I was so gung-ho about it. I think I applied to eight different schools and maybe two were in Florida. I had no desire to stay in state. But then I started looking at the tuition costs and realized, oh, yeah, out of state's not going to happen. <laughs> so ended up at the University of Florida. Um, similarly, a big school was cheaper than a private school, significantly so in Florida. So, How did you get into the Peace Corps from college? Yeah. So I think around my freshman year of college, a friend and I from high school met up and got coffee and we're just talking about our plans and our future and what are we studying? What do we hope to do with that? That sort of thing. And I remember telling him, I just want to help people in my naivety of (laughs) freshman year of college, studying psychology. I just want to be with the people and help them help the world. Um, And he was really into politics. And so he said, you should look into the Peace Corps. And I was like, that's a government organization. I know that you like the government and politics. I'm not interested. Absolutely not. But he kind of put that spark. He's like, you do you even know what the Peace Corps is? And I thought about it. And (laughs) honestly, what I imagined the Peace Corps was, was a bunch of people in D.C. sitting around a table talking about how to end wars in other countries. I was like, that sounds terrible. (laughs) And I have no desire to do that. I envision hippies for some reason. I mean, that's a way more accurate, (laughs) way more accurate. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. I didn't really know what Peace Corps was, but I just knew that he was so government focus that I assumed it was just another committee of people sitting around making decisions. I was like, nope, not for me. And he encouraged me to look into it. So I started researching it more. And then over the years throughout college, there would be just little spots of a person from the Peace Corps would come and talk in one of my classes. Or I worked in a research lab and one of my coworkers had just come back from the Peace Corps. And these things just kept popping up. And the more I researched it, the more I was thinking, you know, I really think this is something that is going to happen for me after Was that the Holy Spirit giving you some hints along the way? Oh, I absolutely believe so. Okay. So how did you get into the Peace Corps and where did that go? Yeah. So uh, I planned on going into the Peace Corps right after college. I talked to my parents to kind of prepare them just so you know. I'm planning to go live abroad for two years after college. I'm just letting you know now so you don't freak out and I'm not just going to drop this bomb on you. (laughs) Um, But... I found another organization out in Colorado, and so I was working with them for a bit, and I took some time in between graduating college and leaving, but essentially what it came down to is I had a time frame that I wanted to leave. I wanted to go to the Peace Corps in the fall of 2018. I wanted to go not anywhere in Latin America because I'd been on, I'd experienced Latin American culture, and I wanted to, to go and try something new. I also can't speak Spanish, and <laughs> that's another big, that's a big one. <laughs> um, and I was kind of looking, honestly, just somewhere in Africa. And I know that sounds so terrible of like, oh, yeah, just Africa, this continent that is so oh, far away. I don't know. But that was just where I feel like the Lord was leading me. And so started looking at, okay, September, like fall 2018 leave time. Um, And then I really wanted to work in the youth development sector. They have like six different sectors within the Peace Corps. And when I'd read the description for youth development, it's doing a lot of work with like middle and high school age students and it's not teaching. So I'm not working in a school, but I get to work with that age group. And that is my favorite group to work with. And 
um, was just really excited to find a program that I could do that that wasn't um, specifically teaching. So had those couple criteria laid out and then just started seeing what positions were available. And for that fall leave time, there was a position in Guatemala, there are positions in Ukraine, and then there are positions in Morocco. And so between the three of those, I kind of cut out Guatemala and did a little bit of research and landed on Morocco. Only one of them was in Africa. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it moves pretty quick. Um, I had sent in my application, I think maybe December of 2017. Um, the next month I got an interview. I was actually living in Costa Rica for that month, so I had to do my interview from Costa Rica. I was very worried about the Wi-Fi going through. <laughs> um, but then we interview, and then about a month later got a response. I remember I was working at my job, and I checked my email, and I was working at a nonprofit Christian organization, so I was able to just stand up in the office. I was like, I'm going to Morocco! And the whole like, office applauds. <laughs> so fun. Um, but yeah, and so then once you get approved, there's a bunch of medical clearance you have to go through. Um, a couple of like dental checks, physicals, um, just a lot of logistics of making sure that you are physically able to live in a remote place. I think that was the bulk of it. That was a little overwhelming. Luckily, one of my coworkers, whose name was also Paige, who had also just been accepted into the Peace Corps, was a couple months ahead of me in her process. So she was able to give me some pointers of, oh, this doctor knows what to do, and this dentist knows how to fill out this form, and things like that. So just a lot of the technicalities and then a lot of waiting. Even when it comes to God's work, sometimes there's bureaucracy involved. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, so what's it like getting ready to step on a plane to go to Africa? Oh, man, it was crazy. So we had uh, um, our, like, screening or pre... We all met up in Philadelphia, and so we were there for, like, just kind of an initial welcome, meet your whole, co whole cohort. There was a little over 100 of us, I think. And then that night, we all got on a couple of charter buses and bus to JFK, arrived there at like three in the morning before the airport was open. So we're all sitting outside the airport waiting for it to open and then step inside and load up all of our luggage and get on the plane. It was crazy to be around so many strangers <laughs> and all of us have the same end goal. We're all getting to Morocco, but had such different ways of getting there and um, very unique personalities in the group. Now, how many people were in this group? Um, so we had about, I think there was 114 of us. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this is all Peace Corps oriented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. we were all youth development volunteers in Peace Corps Morocco. So to a certain degree, even though this is a huge step and you said you couldn't speak Spanish, so that was part of the reason you ruled out South America, I'm pretty sure you couldn't speak the local language in Morocco. <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> but you had at least somewhat of a framework of mm -hmm. support and mm -hmm. other people in the same situation going yes. with you. Okay, yes. what happened once you landed? Mm -hmm. So once we arrived in Morocco, we stayed in a hotel for about 10 days and had some more some training, and we got broken up into our training groups that we would be living with for the next three months. So it was us and four or five other people, Peace Corps volunteers, and then we all had one language teacher who was a Moroccan that was going to be teaching us the language for the next three months, like six days a week, eight to five, learning the language. Now is this Arabic? It's So it's a dialect of Arabic. Uh, it's a little confusing. So the language spoken in Morocco is called Darija. It is not a written language per se. Um, Arab, standard Arabic is what you would read in all of your books. It is what the news is cast in. 
Um, there's an Arabic um, subject in school, but Darija is the like colloquial language. So when you're going to the store, you're going to speak to your store owner in Darija. And when you're having conversations with people, you're speaking in Darija. What's uh, your favorite phrase in Darija? Oh, that's a good one. Well, inshallah means like God willing. And it just became funny. Sometimes you would make plans with people like, oh, I'll see you tomorrow. And like, oh yeah, inshallah. And it felt so offensive at first. Like, no, we made a plan. We have a meeting tomorrow, not God willing. I will see you there. But uh, so that was always a a fun one. Um, Yalla means like, let's go. So anytime if I was like walking to my youth center and there were some kids coming, I'd be like, yalla, yalla. It's just like, let's go. Those are the first two that come to mind. And Zween is like beautiful or super cool. So wow. we would we would use that a lot. Like, ooh, that's so Zween. <laughs> I can see this being picked up around here. <laughs> so what was your uh, general task? What were you doing on a daily basis? Sure. So after we finished our couple months of training and learning the language, we all got sent individually to our sites. So that was much more terrifying than the, the plane because that was us. All right. You are, we were in north of the capital and my site that i was assigned was a nine hour bus ride so (laughs) you've just been pushed out of the moroccan nest yes and where did you end up what was the city yeah so i ended up um pretty far in the south very small rural town it was called temnugout um, and it's in between two southern cities uh, warzazat and zagora it was like on the road in between those so out in the desert um very Moroccan desert, picturesque. I'll just trust that you're pronouncing those properly. <laughs> so my daily assignment, um, I was a youth development volunteer. So I worked with a what's called a Dar Shabab, which translated literally means like house of youth or house for youth. And so I would go there and essentially could do whatever I wanted. The mudir, who's the guy who runs the Dar Shabab, um, knew that Peace Corps volunteer was coming and gave us liberty to do anything that students would be interested in. So typically that is starting with teaching English. Um, For high school students, they are required to, so they speak Darija, they're required to learn standard Arabic starting at, you know, um, elementary school. In, I think the the end of elementary school, they start learning French because French is also um, one of the official languages there. And then in high school, they start learning English. So by the time they're graduating high school, they have three formal languages under their belt, plus Darija that they're just speaking with their families. Plus, there's a lot of indigenous languages. It is mind-blowing. Wow. Okay. So, Not a lot of room for anything else to study. Yeah. So uh, most of my work at the first year was teaching English for high school students. Uh, we did more conversational English. They're learning a lot of the grammar in school. And so we did more conversation classes, helping them to practice their English, essentially. Um, it was pretty small groups. Um, but there were, man, there was one student who fluent English, had no act. I was shocked she's like 16 or 17 years old and she came up to me and was like i want to practice my english and i was like great you're sounding good yes <laughs> i can i practice my english with you honestly so you're in this situation you're um kind of doing what you want but you have specific tasks teaching english you're you're living you're existing how long did this go on like this how and how was this a comfortable situation for you so we arrived at our final sites in December. So that would have been December of 2018. And I will be honest, that first year, December into the next summer were really, really hard. Um, I don't know how to teach. That was part of the reason that I had wanted to do youth development. So I'd never made a lesson plan before. 
Um, and then as the exams were coming up in the spring, the students wanted lessons on the grammar since that's what they were being taught on. So trying to teach English grammar <laughs> to students who English is their third language at best, and I don't even understand the grammar and has to be taught in that certain way for their exam um, was not the most exciting thing. Um, and then in addition, the language was hard to learn. You know, we had three months of training, but then we get thrown out on our own, not having formal training. Um, you're encouraged to find a tutor. I did have a tutor, but it was still a little, a little difficult to, to pick up. And my site in particular, um, everyone spoke an indigenous language uh, called Tashelhit, which is different <laughs> than Darija. And most people understood Darija and I could do my work in Darija, but a big part of the Peace Corps life is integrating in your community and just sitting in people's homes and drinking tea and making bread. And um, a lot of times the women would be speaking in Tashelhit. Um, and then if they needed something from me, they would look at me and speak in Darija. So <laughs> I would understand, but... <laughs> Uh, my work life, my first year, I think I worked officially two hours a week. And so the rest of that was just time to do whatever. And of course, you know, I stick out like a sore thumb. I'm definitely the American in the town. Um, so that first year was pretty hard. Where are you seeing God? Mm. Yeah. So I think one thing that was difficult about Peace Corps that I expected going in but didn't know what it would feel like was the loneliness of not being in a community of believers. Um, my entire life, you know, I grew up in a home that encouraged thought about God and prayer to God, and I was always involved in a youth group or a church. And even in college and beyond, that was always the type of people I surrounded myself with for the most part um, because of how encouraging the body is and I knew going into the Peace Corps okay I'm probably going to be one of the few Christians and I'm going to Morocco which is a 95% Arab or Muslim country so I wasn't really expecting to find any um, faith in Jesus um, specifically in the country but I think that was what was hard, was that the few times that I got to be like myself, I got to be American Page, was around other Peace Corps volunteers who were mostly atheist or agnostic or had some rightfully hard questions about faith. And so feeling like a little bit lonely within my sight and not being able to have conversations with people in general. Um, and if it was about faith, it was always, oh, you should pray and convert. And it's like, okay, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> Or it would be with other Americans, but just living a very different life. And so finding that balance of where do I even find community within God in this country um, was very difficult. And I think that definitely played into the hardship. The first year felt so much of I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to understand people. I'm just trying to make sure I can get to my market so I can buy food for the week. And so where do you even find time to think about God and to pray through that and to talk about God and it just felt like a year of um, just in being in survival mode, honestly. Now, you said earlier when you were looking at high school and heading into college that only serving and not spending time with God will burn you out. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But that's what you were doing at that point. <laughs> that will always be my vice. <laughs> <laughs> that will always be my problem. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So how did you get around that, though? Yeah. So around that time, I did find another volunteer who um, also was a Christian. And we 
hadn't spent a ton of time together prior, but I think around that summer is when we started hanging out a lot more. Her site was not too far from mine, but we were both in pretty similar situations of really rural sites. Um, Yeah, and so we started having a lot more conversations and her view of Jesus is just so dynamic and and just so artistic and it's something I hadn't really encountered before. So we had so many interesting conversations and I think that was so life-giving. Um, unfortunately, she did end up ending her service early because it just wasn't the right fit for her. So I was really sad to see her go for so many reasons because she was my friend, but also um, missing out on those conversations again. But I think around the year mark, I had actually had plans for what was going to happen in my site. I had made friends. There was a woman who was teaching Arabic to adult women in my site, and the two of us were working on a library project to create a library at our youth center. Um, There were so many little kids at the youth center that I was like, what can I do with little kids? Arts and crafts, and started a weekly arts and crafts club with them, started multiple different um, English levels, and just that second year, I felt more comfortable in the language. I didn't feel like I was in survival mode as much. And I, I was able to think, you know, I know what my soul is needing right now. And because every day didn't feel like I'm just trying to survive, it felt like I was able to, to start connecting back in. Well, that's a wonderful feeling to have. <laughs> yeah. You're heading into your second year. Mm-hmm. However, we're in December 2019, January 2020. Mm-hmm. And... That will probably be a period that goes down in history, <laughs> infamously, if right. for no other reason. Mm-hmm. What happened for you? So I, um, we had just about, we were finishing up my library, so the, or the library, not my library, excuse me, the library there, and kids were coming in, there were computers, and um, yeah, just doing a lot of really cool things within the community there, a lot of plans coming up. Um, I, because the news is either in standard Arabic or French there, I never listened to it. So I started listening to the BBC World News podcast to just know what was going on in the world. (laughs) So I had actually been hearing about coronavirus since December of 2019. Like, oh, that virus in China, been hearing a lot about it. Um, I had one of my students a couple weeks before March of 2020 for my arts and crafts class, he wanted to make a mask. He he asked me to bring paper and elastic and a stapler so he could make a medical mask to wear, kind of as a joke, I think. And I thought it was so funny. Be like, oh, haha, you're wearing a mask. Okay. Well, nobody else is going to want to do that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But actually, my... My mom and sister were planning to come visit. So my mom has never been out of the country before, and um, they were originally going to come at a different time, but my first year was so hard, I told them, don't buy a ticket. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Wait until I give you the okay to start planning a travel. And as the fall of 2019 was happening, things were just feeling so good, and I was so excited. So we were talking about plans. Um, So my mom's a teacher, so we were looking at her spring break in March of 2020. Now, just a moment. You said earlier that you didn't know how to teach, yet your mom is a teacher. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's not a genetic thing. It's certainly not genetic. All right, all right. (laughs) I applaud her all the more now that I have attempted it. Like, okay, mom. (laughs) Okay, but you're getting ready to bring your mom and your sister over, and you want to show your mom, look at what I've been able to do Mm -hmm. in learning how to teach. Mm Mm-hmm these new mm-hmm. friends of mine yeah we but. but march of 2020 um gosh within a week it is wild that we're in i know that this won't be um listened to for a while but we're hitting all the anniversaries this week and next 
Um, I think actually today was the day that my mom and sister were uh, called and said, hey, we don't know if our flight is able to get there. We're not sure what's happening. Um, So it was around mid-March. My mom and sister were supposed to come. I had just had my arts and crafts class with my kids. I told them my mom and sister were coming, and they were so excited. They love when people come to visit. We were planning what food we were going to make for them, how we were going to decorate the youth center so we could have a whole party. Um, I'd spoken with some um, guys who play different drums and percussion instruments because my sister loves music, so we were going to have a whole like drum circle and everything. Had all these plans going out, and then that Wednesday night, um, some different airports and things were being shut down, or not shut down, but were not allowing international flights. And so my parents, I think I went to bed that night, me and my sister were talking about how we were going to see camels like that weekend. We're like, oh, we can't wait. You get to see the camels. (laughs) I went to bed. I woke up that Thursday morning with a text from them of, hey, stuff is changing. We're keeping an eye on it. Nothing definite, but we're seeing what's happening. And then Friday the 13th, I went to uh, my Dar Shabab in the morning with the library, was doing my work. And then my boss there told me, hey, don't come back this afternoon. We're closing the youth centers down just for the weekend. We're watching what's going on with coronavirus. So just don't worry. You don't need to come in this afternoon. I was like, okay, that's a little weird, but I'm sure it's fine. It's in China. We're good. It's in Europe now, but we're, we're in Africa. It's fine. <laughs> we're in Morocco. And then, yeah, then my sister and mom officially canceled their flights. Um, and we were in communication with our director and... Um, Saturday, I still I went to a different town to go to the grocery store because I didn't have any food in my house <laughs> because I was planning to travel with my mom and sister. So I needed to go get some food and I couldn't pick up food at my site because it's pretty small. So I needed to go to a bigger town. So I went to a bigger town to get some food. And um, I think within 24 hours from that Saturday, actually, yeah, so it would have been Friday evening into Saturday evening. We went from make sure your house is stocked and you have enough food to get you through a couple weeks in case the country goes on lockdown, to pack your bags, we might have to congregate in the Capitol, to actually pack up your whole house. We're all going to the Capitol. We don't know what's happening, but pack your bags like you're not coming back. This is fast. Very fast. Mm -hmm. You're in the midst of developing a new community. You're expecting to have your mother and your sister visit. Mm -hmm. And then within a matter of literal days, and not even that many days, (laughs) you're asked to pack up and go to the Capitol. What's running through your mind? This isn't happening. This isn't happening. Um, I think I tend to at least try and lean more on the side of optimism. And so this entire evacuation stuff, I was like, it it won't be that bad. There's no way they're going to send us home. Airports are way more unsafe than Morocco right now. No way are we going through airports. It'll only last a few weeks as I'm like leaving my host family. I'll be back. It's fine. It's fine. I'm just going away for a little bit. I'll be back. I'll see you again. Um, Yeah, I, I don't think I really believed it was happening until we were halfway to the capital. We got an email that we were officially being evacuated. Our service was being closed out, so we would not be returning as Peace Corps volunteers. Um, it was on the way to the Capitol, which was on a Sunday that we got that email. And that was when it was very official of, nope, this is it. They were trying to get you out before everything closed down for exactly. good. Mm-hmm. When did you land back in the States? So the plan was, um, again, their bigger concern was that we were getting out before um, flights were, or 
before it was impossible to, essentially. They weren't as concerned about the COVID-19 crisis within Morocco, but more concerned of if there is another medical need or if anyone needs to get out of the country, we're going to be locked in and you won't be able to get out. And that's a problem. So it was more of trying to get us out before it wasn't possible. So we arrived in the capital on the night of Sunday. Um, The airports weren't supposed to close until Saturday. So we were supposed to have about a week of kind of going through the process of exiting things out, all of that. And then airports got closed. It got bumped up to Thursday. So they, um, we ended up having a plane chartered for us Wednesday night. that was just us and some embassy people. And it was a chartered flight out of the capital, which is not even the main airport in the country. I mean, they have an airport, but Casablanca is a bigger one. Marrakesh is a bigger one. So we chartered a flight out of Rabat for Wednesday and then landed back in America. They didn't have flights for us once we got back to America. We were flying into D.C. Um, and basically they told us, once you land in D.C., you'll have an email with where you're going next and what time. And they just their goal was just get us on a plane and get us out before the airport is closed. So we arrived in the Capitol late Sunday night. And by Wednesday night, we were on a plane out. Wow. So the Wednesday before that, I was talking to my sister about seeing camels. And then the next week, I was back in America. You're going through all of this growth, yet within a week... You've gone from, I am on a clear and steady path to, I am back on American soil and I have no idea what I'm going to do next. Is that fair to say? 100%. What did you do next? (laughs) Cried a lot. (laughs) Um, Gosh, the first week back, it was such a blur. Um, So I went back with my parents. There was still, you know, COVID concerns, didn't know a lot about it. So my dad, my my parents live in the same city as my grandma so my dad went and stayed with my grandma and then my mom and I just quarantined at our house for a couple for about a week or two Um, my dad brought us groceries just because we don't know what I'm bringing back I've been through all these airports now don't really know what's going on so my mom and I quarantined Um, yeah and that first chunk of time was such a blur Um, tell us about what happened after you get back to Florida mm -hmm. until you find yourself up here Right. So going back a little bit to the Archikavitz family, to Daniel and Tiffany, um, I had actually, I think I FaceTimed them that Saturday before we were being evacuated because they were in China at this point. So they've been hearing about this. They're in Shanghai. They know they know what's going on. They're trying to figure things out. And so I'm calling them and just like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so they got they got a panic phone call for sure. Um, so then I'm back in Florida. Um, just doing some random research. What can I be doing with my time? I had no idea. I had made a five-year plan that ended with Peace Corps and back when I was in college, right? And so now I'm at the end of my plan and there was nothing next. So I had no idea what was coming up. Um, We, Tiffany and Daniel and their family made it back to America and they were moving out to Port Orchard, Washington. And so we got to visit with them before they made their cross-country trip and just spent a lot of time talking and um, I just really, really enjoyed time with them. Mostly, I had come back from Morocco and I was sad and just wanted to go back. And so I think a lot of what we were talking about was just me processing some emotions. And it just felt really nice to be able to process emotions with people who knew me for such a long time, maybe who weren't my immediate family, but still knew me in a very um, unique way. And their process of like, okay, well, they're back in America, but 
they wanted to be back here. And I'm back in America and I don't want to be here. And so it was interesting hearing like their, I, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but even their joy in coming back of, we made it. This was such a stressful time of getting out of China and back to America and we made it. And for me, just, I'm so upset that I'm here. <laughs> so over the summer, I had a small job for a couple of weeks doing contact tracing for COVID-19. And it was through AmeriCorps, so it was just a couple weeks program. And a little bit after that had ended, there was a job posting for returned Peace Corps volunteers starting out this new cohort of contact tracers in Seattle because the health department, King County Health Department, um, was wanting to launch this new program. So they had sent out this whole um, request for, for people to apply. And I got in touch with them and kind of told them, like, I'm, I'm not in Seattle. I'm in Florida, but I've done this job, so I know how. And if I have to relocate, I actually know some people out there. <laughs> <laughs> I would be willing to relocate. And so went through the interview process. And um, they did want us, even though we're working remotely, they wanted us to be in the Seattle area. Um, we did go into the health department to do some training and to pick up equipment and things. But we were required to be out here. And I think for me, I just didn't have a lot of plans and this just seemed like you know what I know how to do this job it's it's a pretty good job it's temporary it was a contract it was only for six months and I love Tiffany and Daniel if they're willing to let me stay with them that could be that could be really fun it just occurred to me that uh, the pandemic is what forced you out of Morocco but then it also is what gave you an opportunity mm -hmm. to get to Port Orchard what yeah. are you doing now <laughs> so i am finishing up my contract with the contact tracing job i'll actually be my last day is the 20th this month so next saturday um so 40 hours a week i'm calling people in king county who have tested positive for covid 19 and just getting um, giving them resources that the health department has available such as um, we can deliver groceries to people so they're able to not have to worry about going into a grocery store um different yeah, just different programs like that. I'm um, talking through the logistics of how to keep them and their families safe while they're isolating. So if you have any COVID-19 questions, I've got a plethora of knowledge <laughs> in my mind. Um, so that's what I do 40 hours a week. Um, and then I'm also working part-time with Chapel Hill Port Orchard. So I started our contract, the job, the full-time job had kind of a rough, uh, rocky start. Um, I came out here in September it was supposed to start in October. It didn't end up starting till November. So I had kind of a slow start with the job. And Daniel had suggested, hey, we're doing this like internship with college students with Chapel Hill Port Orchard. If you want to do that, you can do that for the next like month. If you like it, maybe you can stay on. But it'll at least be something to do while you're waiting for your full-time job to start. So I interviewed and talked with Megan and Betsy, a few other people with um, Chapel Hill. And started out as kind of interning, doing some administrative stuff, and then being able to stick around after that. You seem to have become the, uh, almost the tech guru for a lot of things <laughs> we're <scary>. doing. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you've uh, also been keeping really good notes about everything we're doing in Port Orchard as well. What are the comparisons and the contrasts between Port Orchard and Morocco? You're so far away from home and almost <laughs> the, the same distance away yeah. from home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, the language is a little easier to pick up here. That does help. <laughs> um, but you have to wear more flannel. Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, what are the comparisons and contrasts being mm -hmm. so far away from home? Mm 
Mm-hmm. One thing that I think both in Morocco and both here in Port Orchard is that community is so refreshing. Um, it was difficult in Morocco because community was in another language. And there were a lot of times where, um, you know, as a woman, you do need to dress more conservatively. And when it's 100 degrees in the middle of summer and no houses have air conditioning, I don't want to wear long sleeves and pants to go sit with my host sister as she's making bread by the fire. <laughs> so that's not not quite as fun there. Um, but there's just this sense of community. We do things together. I think people in my community were sometimes concerned that I would be in my house too much. Like, why aren't you with us all the time? <laughs> Um, and similarly, since I've been here, um, I just feel a lot less alone, just physically being around people. That was another big perk of Tiffany and Daniel being out here was that, yes, I'm willing to relocate to another city in America, but it's hard to do when you're going on your own. And so it was really special to be able to come out here and just immediately get plugged in and immediately have people and friends you know I've been out here for about six months that's about how much time I spent back with my parents in Sarasota and granted that was the beginning of the pandemic nobody's really out meeting people but it was mostly me and my parents sometimes I would visit friends in other parts of Florida um, but it did feel kind of lonely and so coming out here within a month or two of just like whoa I forgot what community felt like and this community speaks English and this community loves Jesus did you ever have a hopeless time since Port Orchard or Morocco? In, at any time, at mm-hmm. any point in time, you did say that you cried a fair amount. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was there any point where you felt a little hopeless about what was happening and that it was out of your control? I think during the evacuation, I felt pretty hopeless. Um, I, I can remember the bus ride. I don't really remember um, being in the capital that much those couple of days we were there in that hotel. But I do specifically remember the bus ride of we had just been told we weren't coming back. And just that feeling of I have no idea what I'm coming back to. I have no idea what's next. Um, Feeling a lot of sadness that most of the people in my community were kids. And so I never got a chance to say bye to them. You know, a lot of them I was like, I just seen them at our arts and crafts club on Wednesday. And they were expecting to see my mom and sister the next time we were all together. And I never even got to say bye. And those were the moments of, ugh, this is hard. At each age, at each turn, you reevaluated your faith mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Looking back, this is a difficult age for a lot of young people. Mm-hmm. A lot of anxiety um, with what is happening in the world and what will it look like when we get to the other side of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have? I think, honestly, I keep circling back to community. Um, a lot of the conversations I had with Daniel and Tiffany before I came out here, <laughs> Daniel pretty point blankly said to me like you're kind of bitter you need to be around some people (laughs) not just around (laughs) alone in your thoughts (laughs) and I really see that ringing true of the difference that I have felt here and being around various ages various stages of life various individuals who have such different stories um, versus some of my friends who 
are kind of doing it on their own right now and how that is hard and lonely. Um, I think that community is something that's easy to forget about, even pre-pandemic. Um, we get really focused on our, our jobs and what's next and how can I look the best in this situation and do all these things. Um, but really forget the simplicity of just having a meal with someone outside your immediate family and going for a walk and not going for your walk alone and um, just being with individuals. It can be surprising how cathartic that is. You are thanking God for community, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming. Yes. (laughs) What else are you thanking God for right now? Hmm. Truly, I'm thanking God for Port Orchard. Um, It's been interesting just even thinking about what's coming in this next year um, for me. And so before Morocco, I lived in Colorado and I loved it. I think Colorado is so beautiful. I was right by the mountains. It was so much fun. Um, I was around a lot of people my age and a lot of believers and did some really, really cool things out there, but it never felt quite right. And I don't know how to put a word on that besides the Holy Spirit, but it just never felt like I was supposed to stay there. I had a six-month job, and then I was leaving for Morocco, and that felt like a healthy time to close out in Colorado. But in the past couple of weeks and month even of being here, there just does feel kind of like there's a rooting happening. This doesn't feel like a temporary close. This doesn't seem like a, I'm just here for six months, and then I'm gone. So I, I don't know what that means, but it makes me hopeful. Do you have a favorite story in the Bible or a favorite verse that you go to when you need to? It changes a lot. (laughs) Um, Romans is typically like, that's my favorite book in the Bible. In chapter eight, when it talks about um, the spirit intercedes with us for with wordless groans, that just, I get that. And even in this past year, I get that even more of, man, there have been so many times when I'm praying, I'm like, I don't even know what to pray for. And what a relief that we know. We don't have to always put words to it because the spirit does intercede for us without words. And that has been something that is, yeah, that has always been a verse that I've come back to. Um, And more recently, I don't have it memorized now, but I was looking at it actually this morning. um, Psalm 112 verse 7 talks about they will have no fear of bad news um, because their, their confidence is in the Lord or something along those lines. But I just think of, the fear and the emotions that I felt leaving the country. And I was like, oh, I did have fear of bad news. I did not live this well, (laughs) but looking forward of, okay, you know, life, we're actually not in control as much as we think. And this year has just shown more light on that, but I don't think that much has changed, to be honest. It just is more present to us that we're in less control than we realize. But having that confidence of, you know, when we're rooted in the Lord, like we don't have to have fear of bad news. Is there anything else you would like to add? I don't think so. I think, um, yeah, I'm just thankful for an opportunity to share this. I know it's a lot of details (laughs) and all over the place, but it's been an interesting experience and it certainly doesn't feel like it's over yet, but. (laughs) Paige Byler, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. We've learned more about Morocco and Port Orchard. And that there is a connection, maybe even more beyond just Paige. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. 
This has been Hill Stories, originating at Chapel Hill Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. The opinions expressed are those of the participants for the edification of our listeners and do not necessarily reflect those of Chapel Hill leadership or the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. If you would like more information or to submit an idea for a future episode, our email address is hillstories at chapelhillpc.org. For everyone here at Chapel Hill, I'm David Wilson. Thank you and God bless.